Well, this morning we're going to continue our sermon series called Flipping Tables. For four weeks, we are examining the story of the act of protest that Jesus engaged in when he went into the temple in Jerusalem and flipped over the tables of the money changers. Today, I'm going to invite you to take a deep breath and listen for God's voice as our friend Greg shares with us the story as we find it in Mark's Gospel. Hi, I'm Greg, and this is Ollie. I'm reading Mark 11, verses 15 through 19. When, Jeru when Jesus reached Jerusalem, he entered the temple courtyard. He began to drive out those who were buying and selling there. He turned over the tables of people who were exchanging money. He also turned over the benches of those who were selling doves. He would not allow anyone to carry items through the temple courtyard. Then he taught them. He told them, It is written that the Lord said, My house will be a house where people from all nations can pray, but you have made it a den for robbers. The chief priests and teachers of law heard about this. They began looking for ways to kill Jesus. They were afraid of him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When the evening came, Jesus and his disciples left the city. Word of God. The word of God for, for people of God. Thanks be to God. So this week I was watching the news when I saw a familiar face. I was watching the news when I saw a story about a protest that had taken place here in the city of Flint. This protest was put together by students from the University of Michigan at the Flint campus and their allies. And as I was watching this news story, the, the reporter walked over to one of the protest organizers and started interviewing this young man and asking, what is the protest about and, and what are you trying to accomplish? And as I was watching this interview, I realized that the, the young man that the reporter was talking to was, was one of the young adults of our Court Street United Methodist Church family. I realized that he was talking to, to Bennett Walling. And, and as he was talking to Bennett, who was, has grown up here at the Court Street United Methodist Church, uh, I, I watched as Bennett did a masterful job of explaining to the reporter exactly why the students were protesting and what they were hoping to accomplish. Now, Bennett explained that the protesters were trying to draw people's attention to funding cuts that had been proposed at the University of Michigan Flint and at the University of Michigan Dearborn. He explained that they were trying to draw people's attention to the fact that the student population at U of M Flint and at the U of M Dearborn campus serves a higher proportion of black and brown students than the Ann Arbor campus. And he explained that they're trying to draw attention to the fact that the, the University of Michigan Flint and the University of Michigan Dearborn are chronically underfunded when compared to the uh, University of Michigan Ann Arbor campus. As I watched this young court straighter stand up and speak for justice and for equity, I started thinking about all of the many protests that have touched our community and that many court straighters have been taking part in these last few months. It's clear that we're living in a season of protests. And as I thought about all of the protests that have been happening here around the community, I started wondering if we could, could go back and find the moment when this season of protests started. Of course, our community has been touched by the wave of Black Lives Matter protests and the Justice for George protests that have swept across the country in response to the, the death of George Floyd, a black man in Minnesota who was murdered at the hands of police officers. 
But as I was thinking about the, the protests that have taken place in our community, I realized that there were protests going on in the city of Flint long before the death of George Floyd. It was only a few months ago, it seems like a lifetime ago, but it was only a few months ago that auto workers here in the city of Flint were carrying signs and marching on picket lines. And as I thought about the, the auto worker strikes and protests that have happened in, in recent months, that got me thinking about Herb Wansittler Sr., Herb Wansittler Sr. was a, a beloved lifetime member of our Court Street Church family. And Herb Sr. passed away just a little over a year ago. Before Herb died, I had the chance to spend some time with him. And in one of our very last conversations, Herb, Herb was reminiscing about his childhood here in the city of Flint. His father was an auto worker also, and, and Herb shared with me his memories of watching his father leave the house each day to go and be part of the sit-down strike that happened in 1937. As I thought about all the many moments of, of protest that have touched our congregation and our community, I realized that even though it seems like we are living now in an, an unusual season of protest, the truth is that we have always, we have always been living in a season of protest. Now, there has always been evil and injustice and oppression in the world. And as long as there is evil and injustice and oppression in the world, God will call on God's people to stand up and to speak up and to resist and protest that evil and injustice and oppression. That's what God's people have, have always done. Even Jesus, when he walked into the temple and turned over the tables of the money changers, even Jesus was simply walking in the footsteps of a long line of holy protesters who came before him. In our, our daily devotion recordings for the last couple of weeks, we've been learning about some of the, the most famous and important moments of protest that have taken place in, in the Bible, in the pages of Scripture. We've been learning especially about the Old Testament prophets. We've been learning that the Old Testament prophets were God's holy protesters. You know, we think about the, the prophets as, as stuffy men with beards who would sit around all day waiting to receive messages from God that they would write down in books and, and preserve for posterity. But the truth is the, the prophets of the Old Testament, people like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel were anything but stuffy. You know, the prophets in the Old Testament were community organizers. They were radical activists. They were performance artists, the kind of people who would have felt perfectly at home in the middle of a Black Lives Matter protest today. And the prophets in the Old Testament understood that sometimes you need to create a little ruckus and disruption in order to get your point across. As an example, I can tell you about the prophet Isaiah. Maybe you know that the prophet Isaiah once spent three years completely naked in order to share a message that God had given him to share with God's people. For three years, the prophet Isaiah walked around barefoot without a stitch of clothing on. And when people would come to Isaiah outraged and angry and they would tell him to put clothes on and ask him why he was walking around completely naked, Isaiah would say, I am walking around naked in order that people will know that the day of God's justice is coming. The day is coming when God will put an end to evil and injustice and oppression. And when that day comes, everyone who has put on armor and gone to battle against God, everyone who has put on armor to battle against God will be stripped of their armor and sent away naked. The prophet Isaiah sent three years without any clothes on in order to get his message across. And then there's the prophet Jeremiah. 
Now, the prophet Jeremiah understood what it meant to create a little bit of noise to get people's ears and to get people's attention. In the Old Testament, we find the, the story of a moment when the prophet Jeremiah went to the store. The, he went to the pottery store and he bought a big, a big crate full of ceramic vessels. And then he took that big stack of ceramic vessels to a, a place in the city where there was a big crowd of people gathered. And then the prophet Jeremiah started preaching to the people. He started proclaiming to the people that they had turned away from God, that they were practicing evil and injustice and oppression. And he said that one day, because they were walking down such a destructive road, one day destruction would come to their city. Their city would be smashed to bits. And then as he was preaching, the prophet Jeremiah started smashing those ceramic vessels on the stones. He made a great big noise and drove home his point that destruction was coming to the people who had turned away from God. And then there was the prophet Ezekiel. Now the prophet Ezekiel may have been the, the most radical and outrageous of all the Old Testament prophets. The prophet Ezekiel was always doing things that were so strange and outlandish that people questioned his sanity. And one day the prophet Ezekiel got up in front of a big crowd of people and he started shaving his beard and shaving his head with a sword. And you can just imagine all of the people in that crowd watching on the edge of their seat, waiting for his hand to slip. And as he was performing this death-defying act in front of the people, as he was shaving his face and his, his head with this sword, he began preaching to the people. He said, you, you God's people have become like a man shaving his head, shaving his beard with a sword. You are pressing your luck. You are pushing and trying God's patience. You are just one twitch away from God's judgment. You now, the Old Testament prophets understood that sometimes you've got to create a little ruckus and disruption. You've got to shock people in order to get your message across. If we understand that Jesus was walking in the footsteps of these holy protesters, then we can understand exactly what is happening in today's gospel reading. In today's reading, we have more or less the same story that we heard from Matthew's gospel last week. The story goes in Mark's gospel that Jesus walks into the temple. He flips over the tables of the money changers. He drives all of those people and animals out of the temple and he reclaims the temple as a house of prayer. But Mark's gospel shares with us a part of the story that we don't find told the same way in Matthew's gospel. What Mark tells us that Matthew's gospel doesn't is, is what Jesus did just before and just after he flipped over the tables in the temple. Now Mark's gospel tells us that as Jesus is walking up to the temple, as he's about to go in and engage in this act of protest, he realizes that he's hungry. And so Jesus starts looking around for a, a fruit tree, for some fruit that he can pick and, and settle his rumbling stomach. And Jesus outside the temple, he sees a, a fig tree. And so he walks over to the fig tree and he looks to see if there are any figs on its branches. But Jesus discovers that there are no figs on the branches of the tree. It's a fruit tree without any fruit. And when Jesus discovers that the fig tree doesn't have any fruit for him to eat, he becomes angry. And there in the presence of his disciples and there in front of the crowds, Jesus curses the fig tree for not having any fruit. And then he goes into the temple and he turns over the tables and he drives out the money changers and all of the people who have been disrupting worship in God's house. And then when Jesus and his disciples were finished with their act of protest, they walked out of the temple again. 
And as they were walking out of the temple, the disciples looked and they saw that the tree that had been cursed by Jesus had withered and died. Now, for 2,000 years now, followers of Jesus have been trying to understand what on earth is happening in this story. Why would Jesus become so angry that he would curse a tree to the point where it withers and dies? This is a a difficult and troubling story because it's not the way we like to think of Jesus. We like to think of Jesus as gentle and compassionate. It seems strange to us that Jesus would use the powers that God had given him to curse a tree for not having any fruit. This story is strange and difficult to understand until we remember that Jesus is someone who walked in the footsteps of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Jesus was someone who understood that sometimes you need to create a little ruckus and disruption in order to get your point across. And that is exactly what Jesus was doing when he cursed that fig tree. When Jesus cursed that tree in front of all the people there in the city of Jerusalem, he was letting them know that an age of evil and injustice and oppression was coming to an end. He was letting them know that a system that was only benefiting the powerful people of the city, a system that only benefited the religious leaders, a system that only benefited the politicians, a system that only benefited the wealthy was coming to an end, a system that didn't bear fruit for the people was coming to an end, that God was about to curse it and it was going to wither and die in order that something new something fruitful, something life-giving could come into the world. And that's what protest has always been about. Protesters disrupt the world as it is. Protesters create a ruckus so that people will pay attention to the evil and injustice and oppression that exists. Protesters engage in creative acts of disruption so that Evil and injustice and oppression can come to an end and something new and beautiful and life-giving and holy can come into this world. And we can see that happening all around us even now. Even now the protests that are happening in our community and and all across the nation and all around the world are are bringing new and beautiful and life-giving things into the world. Now today before we finish, I've invited a a special guest to come and share with us a moment when she saw something new and beautiful and life-giving occur and take place in the middle of a a moment of protest. This week I've invited a a daughter of Court Street United Methodist Church, a child of God, Danielle Crowder, to share with us something that she experienced at a protest just a few days ago. Listen as Danielle tells the story. So a couple weeks ago, I went to a protest and I went to the protest because um, I wanted to be part of history. I know there's a lot of changes going on right now um, and I just felt that it was very important for me to be there um, and fight for the things that I truly believe in. Um, So I went to a protest. It started out as a silent protest and so um, we lined the streets of Grand Rapids uh, near the police station. And we just sat in silence holding on, holding signs. The um, plan of the next steps of the um, protest were to hear from the police, hear what they have to say, and try to come to an agreement. Um, and then after the police would say um, whatever it was that they wanted to 
um, said the people. We were then going to um, kneel for nine minutes and chant, I can't breathe, uh, because that was the amount of time that George Floyd was um, being choked. So I went up to the front lines and they had um, the street blocked off. So there was no cars. And since at this point it was still a silent protest, um, it was just me, my roommate, and another girl. And it was just completely silent, walking in the middle of this very busy street, but there were no cars. It was just like this movie moment. So it was just, it was very weird to have all those eyes on me. But at the same time, it just felt like a moment of importance um, that my voice and my concerns were going to be heard right at the forefront, um, speaking with the police. Um, so we got to the front of, and met with the police, the front of the protest, and the police did say that they we were going to um, have a meeting that was going to talk about um, police brutality issues. Um, they said that they stood with, with us and they understood us and they even said, you know, Black Lives Matter, which did really mean a lot. Um, still part of me does not know whether or not it was really genuine um, or if it was just for show for the press because there was a lot of cameras and news stations there. Either way, I think it definitely is a start. It's a step forward and it's making a difference. Um, so following that, I saw a little girl and she was dressed in a lab coat and goggles and she held a sign that says, when I grow up, I want to be a black scientist. My life, my life matters. Um, and when I saw her, I just saw myself as a kid. I saw a younger version of who I, who I was as a little girl. I was, I was a little girl who loved science. I loved to play in the dirt and, um, dig up worms, catch butterflies. I was just had so many questions about the world that were science related. Um, and even now being a science major, knowing what it takes to understand science and work hard it and go to college for it, I was just like, I need to give this little girl a pep talk. Um, and so I did, I, I just knelt down, I leveled to her and I was like, you know what? I believe you, you are going to be a scientist one day. I was like, the world is going to tell you that you can't. Um, they're going to say it's too hard. And you know what? It is hard, but I know you can do it. I can do it. Um, I have friends who can do it, and I know you can do it. And so I just gave her this pep talk. and It was just this very surreal moment where I felt I, like I was talking to a younger version of myself. Um, and her and her parents were very grateful that I was able to do that, and I did talked to her parents afterwards and told them, you know, I'm studying integrated sciences at Grand Valley. And I just want her to know that she can do it. I am the only um, black person in my classes. Um, one For one, as an education major, I'm the only one in my classes. And for integrated sciences, I am the only one in my classes that is black. Um, and so that, that's very intimidating. And I know that's something that that little girl was gonna face when she grows up. Um, and so I just wanted her to hear it from me, someone who's going through that. Um, and I want her to remember that, that okay, that, that one girl came to me and spoke to me 
honestly with so much passion that um that I can do this she did it she did it she believes in me I will do that that's what I want her um to think when science starts getting tough or when she starts um having people doubt her because of her skin color and because she's a girl um or that she just feels very alone because she might be the only person of color in her classes when this world is going to be you know tearing her down i'm trying to build her up and make sure that she um remembers that that talk that pep talk for a long time um it's things like that that are going to change our world um, and that's the things with these with these protests. They seem very destructive, and in some ways they are, but they're tearing down things so they can be built up again. They're trying to tear down a system that is against black people so that can be built up for black people and for um, everybody in America. They're disruptive, they're abrupt, they interrupt society, and they just start going with, you know what, black lives matter. We're not going to you know, kind of kindly ask if we should um, politely say this or or whatnot. The point of the protests are to directly say, to directly interrupt the daily life and to just stand up for what they believe in and to um, encourage and try to build a new America that's equal and fair for everybody.